This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. Drone strikes used in Afghanistan and Pakistan have drawn fire from conservatives and liberals, though for different reasons. But if the United States' engagement in Afghanistan is going to be a long one, it's time to understand the legitimate uses of drone strikes. David Ritgers is a legal policy analyst at the Cato Institute. He served three tours in Afghanistan as a special forces officer and continues to serve as a reserve judge advocate. I need to begin by saying that any views I express are my own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense or the Department of the Army. What is the liberal criticism of using these uh, drone strikes? The liberal criticism is that they should be referred to as extrajudicial killings or non-judicial killings. Uh, And this is a pretty invalid criticism of using force on the battlefield in any other situation, whether we're Uh, using a tank or a bomb or a gun, we would never ask the courts or Congress to step in and micromanage the tactical employment of force. And that extends here uh, by analogy to drones. And and in this instance, I think that that the the legal system, there certainly has to be a vetting process. There has to be a vetting process on both the accuracy and reliability of intelligence. And proportionality is also one of the the principles of the laws of armed conflict we're going to have to employ. Uh, Certainly, we couldn't have targeted Hitler without perhaps killing Eva Brown alongside uh, with him, but I think that we can look back and say that that would be an acceptable cost of of doing business. And if we meet that proportionality and and the intelligence is is vetted properly, then it's a good use of force. What of the complaints of collateral damage more generally, though? In Afghanistan in particular, we've seen a decrease in collateral damage and the deaths of civilians almost by a third, about 28-29%. Uh, and in terms of full years that we have data, uh, it's decreased that much from 2008 to 2009. So there has been a focus on reducing collateral damage, reducing the deaths of, of uh, civilians. And, and frankly, I would look at the numbers coming out of Pakistan with a grain of salt. Uh, if you look at the way that we're conducting operations elsewhere, uh, they won't actually use a bomb or a drone unless there's either a stay-behind force on the ground or in the air to document the amount of, of, of collateral damage, if any, that occurs. And they do this to, uh, to stunt the propaganda attempts that, uh, that the people that we're fighting uh, will use. And if you ask any reporter in Kabul and you ask them, who gets to you first with an account of collateral damage and the deaths of civilians, I think invariably they're going to say the Taliban do. Part of the conservative critique of using drones is that rather than destroying people that we believe to be terrorists on the battlefield, it may be better to engage uh, boots on the ground to capture these guys to get uh, intelligence. Well, first, we have to take a look at some of the areas where drones are used. And some of these areas are it's very, very difficult to get into some of these areas and try and capture someone. They may be too well guarded. It may be in a, in a valley that is uh, wraps this particular person we're trying to reach uh, in the arms of a localized insurgency that would be very resistant and provide a great deal of resistance to any kind of uh, use of, of boots on the ground. Uh, second, I have to I think we have to take a step back and see what's more effective if the government where this person is operating, uh, has reason to capture them and can capture them, then we may be in a better position if it's someone else doing the capturing and dealing with them than it is with us. I think encouraging that that cooperation and participation is important, something we have to do going forward. Uh, and that may be a better way to go, uh, both the policy reasons and legally in a number of situations. How do drones help governments make the decision 
about whether or not they themselves would then engage in this type of capture. Well, let's take the uh, situation where a localized insurgency based on a grievance with uh, some government, let's just say Yemen, for example, uh, the ground where this insurgency is based may not be readily accessible to anyone, including the Yemeni government or, or, or any of our forces. Uh, using a drone to target an al-Qaeda member who has, is trying to link the local grievance that the Yemenis may have with their government to the broader international terrorism message that al-Qaeda has, that's a valid uh, use of force and separating these international enemies that we have from those localized insurgents puts us towards an end state where whatever local grievance people have with their own government, hopefully down the road they'll say, let's not let this Al-Qaeda guy come in. He'll bring some, some money with him, but he also brings the pursuit of the Americans uh, to get him, and by extension, us. And I think in terms of separating our enemies from the allies they would create, that's a very smart use of power. Okay, to that end, why do you argue that the Cold War is the best parallel that we have when thinking about drone strikes? Well, to begin with, this is not going to be a short war. We're eight and, years, eight and a half years uh, into using force to pursue uh, al-Qaeda and the Taliban and those who perpetrated the attacks on September 11, 2001. And I think if we look at the scope of time, this is not going to be a, a set-piece battle. It, that already has not been the case. And if you take a look at the images uh, that, the, that the public has about a particular incident in history, I think the Cold War is the only thing that's relevant in people's minds to see the scope of what we're going to be doing. We're not going to win this fight in Afghanistan. We're not going to win this fight in Yemen or Somalia, in any one particular place. And parallel to the Cold War, we have an enemy that is trying to destabilize third world governments, particularly in the Muslim world, based on grievances that people have locally and to link them with this broader international cause. So in that respect, I think it parallels the Cold War. But to give further perspective, we back out to the 30,000-foot level, looking at the, the Soviets as an enemy, al-Qaeda is a far weaker threat to us uh, in terms of the, the, the bigger scope of things. They don't have for one, a nation state where they have a, a true haven to operate from. If they had a return address like that for bombs, it would disappear. Uh, they don't have a veto on the Security Council at the UN. They don't have the economic resources. That, and, and really, I think most importantly, they don't have a competing message or a competing narrative to offer the world. If you look at the places uh, outside of a few areas of, of Afghanistan and Pakistan where, where really this fight is raging at its highest— uh, places that have come under their sway, people have rejected that. And we saw al-Qaeda in Iraq imposing this way of life, this methodology, this ideology on the Sunnis, and it was rejected. And, and I think that their message is far weaker than the, the one that we have, and that's an advantage I think we forget all too easily. David Richards is a legal policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read his recent Wall Street Journal op-ed on drone strikes at Cato.org. 